Good morning, church. I pray this finds you doing well today. A long time ago, when I served as the youth pastor here, every May long weekend, we would take our students to a retreat called Pitch and Praise, a camp out near Stainer, Ontario, where students from across Ontario would come together, set up their tents, and praise the Lord. Well, I'll never forget the year that it rained the entire weekend. And because we were limited on space in our tents that year, I had to sleep in my car, which at the time was, was a little Ford Tempo with, with not much leg or headroom. And consequently, the, the only comfortable position I could find in, in my little car where I could kind of stretch out was, was with my feet up on the dashboard like that and, and with the chair, driver's seat lean right back in the back seat. Well, somehow, I managed to fall asleep in this position, only to be suddenly awakened early in the morning to the sound of one of our youth screaming. So I reached over, I opened the door, flung it open, and then swung my, my feet out over the side and went to stand up, only to fall. right down into a huge puddle of mud. By the way, I was, I was down to my last clean set of clothes. It was horrible. <laughs> you see, over the course of about six hours that night, I I'd totally lost blood flow to my legs. No circulation there. So when I went to stand up, my, my legs were, were asleep. They, they were as good as dead. The point is, when body parts fall asleep, that is when they don't function the way they're supposed to, that has a big impact on the rest of the body. In fact, it can be detrimental, dangerous. And the same is true in the body of Christ. I'm concerned for the body of Christ, not, not just for this church, but for the church, universal and the impact of this pandemic, specifically the impact of being shut in and locked down for so long, confined and restricted both individually and corporately as we have been. Consequently, instead of standing firm and pressing forward in faith, many Christians and churches have, have sat down and leaned back and fallen asleep. In Romans 13, Paul implores the church saying this. He says, understand or recognize the present time. Verse 11, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The fact is, though the way we've had to do church has changed dramatically this past year, our mission and the message of the gospel has not. In fact, it's never been more necessary. Right now, there is more need, opportunity, and necessity for God's people to commit and recommit themselves to the ministry and mission of the church, to be reminded of what it means to be a committed, functioning member of the body of Christ on earth. Sadly, however, there are more and more Christians who seem convinced that, that formal active membership in a local congregation isn't, isn't really necessary. Which 
I guess shouldn't come as a surprise in a day and age when true commitment is increasingly rare. We can blame that on our sinful secular culture, and we often do. We can blame it on the godless politics of our nation. We can blame it on churches themselves, on its hypocritical members and uncaring pastors. And Christians can be especially good at doing that. But we need to look in the mirror and recognize that our weakness is due at least in part to the fact that many church members have lost the biblical understanding of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. Consequently, we've turned the meaning of membership upside down. People today are driven by a consumer mentality. We join churches expecting them to serve us, to feed us, to please us, to care for us. When as members of his church, God has called us to serve others, to care for others, to pray for our leaders, to learn, teach, give, and to be willing to suffer and die for the sake of the gospel. This morning, as we prepare to renew our church covenant and receive some new members into membership here today, we're first of all going to look at what God's word has to say about church membership. And as we do that, it is my prayer that we remember and recount the cost and call of church membership. Remember that Jesus died to make us his bride. It's my prayer that that today we rediscover the incredible privilege, responsibility, and joy of church membership. In the words of the great Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, we must grasp once again the idea of church membership, that is membership in the body of Christ, as the biggest honor which can come a man's way in this world. The biggest honor which can come a person's way in this world. Church membership. Do you believe that? Would you agree with that? If not, forgive us, Lord, for the thing we've made this. For for seeing church membership as as a burden, for becoming disgruntled or or embittered for what the church hasn't done for me, for, for how I've been let down, how I've been hurt, how I've been forgotten. Forgive us, Lord, because it's not about us, but about you who laid down your life for us on the cross to make us his bride. And yet, Instead of cherishing and embracing our role as his bride, we've dishonored Christ through our pride. Forgive us, Lord. So to start, I just want to be clear about something. Church membership is biblical. While there's no explicit command to formally join a local church, the biblical basis for formal church membership, it permeates the entire New Testament. It's most clearly seen in the example and expression of the early church. In the New Testament, coming to Christ was synonymous with coming to church. When a person repented of their sins and turned in faith to Jesus, they would be baptized and were immediately added to the church, which meant formally joining with other believers in a local assembly and devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayer. And then, as we read in Acts 2.42, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All of the terminology for the church used throughout the book of Acts only makes sense in the context of formal church membership. 
Expressions like the whole congregation or the church in Jerusalem, the elders of the church in Ephesus, they all suggest clearly recognizable church membership within defined boundaries. So here's how it played out in the New Testament. Local congregations, the most well-known being the church at Jerusalem and the church at Antioch, began missionary efforts and started new congregations across the Roman Empire. Local leadership was put in place to shepherd and disciple the members of, of local congregations. You, you look at the books of the New Testament. M many of the letters are written to specific churches, demonstrating that the Lord intended that believers would be committed to a defined local gathering of believers. Church membership is also implied in the existence and structure of, of church government and the biblical requirement of Christians to be submitted to a specific group of church leaders, elders, or pastors who were given the responsibility to shepherd God's people. But there's no way that the elders of a church could possibly resp be responsible for the spiritual well-being of every individual who ever visited the church. They could only be responsible to shepherd those who had submitted themselves to their care and authority through distinguishable membership. You can't shepherd people if you don't know who they are or if they don't show up. In fact, when a believer moved to another city, his church would often write a letter of commendation to his new church. Furthermore, church discipline only makes sense in the context of formal membership. Discipline, the fact that excommunication exists, that is, putting someone out of the church, as Paul instructs in 1 Corinthians 5, 12, and 13, that's further evidence that, that church membership was important because without clear membership and accountability, that kind of removal would be impossible. What would you be removing that person from? Well, there are a number of passages in the New Testament that deal specifically with the idea of church membership, but the most extensive passage is found in chapters 12 to 14 of Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. And today, we're gonna focus on 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 27, if you want to turn there with me in your Bibles. Now, to say that the church at Corinth had issues would be an understatement. It was a troubled church. There were deep divisions among them. People were arguing, fussing, fighting over many different things, including positions of power and authority in the church. And, and that was just the tip of the iceberg. And so Paul writes this letter to, to reprimand their behavior and to remind them of God's design for the church. And to do that, he uses a, a very important metaphor to describe church membership, summed up in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, where we read, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You are the body of Christ. The idea here is that like a human body, all the individual members of the church are essential parts that together make up one body which Paul explains, starting at verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? 
But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word today. So Paul uses a physical human body as a representation of the church. He says that, that God has put all the parts of this body together, like our physical bodies. He's given each part a specific indispensable function that can't be fulfilled by any other part. Every part is essential to all the others and must be connected. As wonderful and sophisticated as the heart is, it was never made to be just a heart, but a heart pumping blood to the rest of the body in which God put it. Outside the body, it has no purpose. A heart can't function. In the same way, a true member of Christ's body is not designed to operate independently or outside the body of Christ. We're not made to be independent, but interdependent. Christianity is not a solo sport. It's also not a spectator sport. We were never made to be just an individual Christian. God has created every organ and cell in, in these bodies to be active and essential members of the human body. And so God has designed every Christian to be an active, functioning member of a local body of Christ. Which, by the way, makes us especially grateful that, that we are once again able to gather and, and worship together and serve one another together here at the church right now. We, we thank God for that. It's so important. Verse 18 says, he has arranged the parts just as he wanted them to be. The idea here is that God has meticulously and wonderfully designed this body and arranged each church member to function together. This echoes David's song of praise for God's handiwork in Psalm 139 verses 13 and 14. There we read, David sang, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Just as God has fearfully and wonderfully designed our bodies, so he has designed the church and set it in order so that each individual member must do its part or the body, the church, can't operate the way it's supposed to. Membership means that we're all different, but that we work together. There's, there's both unity and diversity. All the different parts of the body must work together for the health of the body. Because as we read in verse 19, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We need everybody. And we don't just need everybody, but we need everybody to function. That is to do what God is calling you to do, to serve where he's calling you to serve with the gifts that he's given you. Because when a body part doesn't do what it's supposed to, 
that affects the whole body. In order for this body of Christ to function the way God has intended, my friends, we need every part to do its work in this church. The problem is, when body parts have been inactive for an extended period of time, like has been imposed by this pandemic, well, they can fall asleep, lose circulation, feel disconnected, and then suddenly when they're needed, they can't spring into action. And that affects the whole body, which was the point of the story of my legs falling asleep. My friends, inactivity can lead to spiritual apathy, where complacency easily sets in. God forbid. May it not be so. Lord, shake us and wake us. Wake us up by the power of your Holy Spirit. Reunite us and light the fire within us again. That's my prayer. Verse 24, look what it says. God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. What an incredible picture of love and unity in the church here. The very thing, by the way, that Jesus prayed for the future church in John 17. In verse 20, we read, I pray that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The most powerful witness of God's love for the world will be the unity of the body of Christ. That's what Jesus is praying there. When people look at the church, they should see a group of people unlike any other on earth, my friends. As we sing that great song, that they will know we are Christians by our love, by how we love and serve one another in Christian unity. You see, the foundation of church membership is the love of God poured out in Jesus Christ. Which is why in the middle of teaching about the proper functioning of the body of Christ, Paul stops to show them the most excellent way in chapter 13. Love. That's why it's called the love chapter. Beginning in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, Paul writes, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So just to be clear, that wasn't written as a love poem to be read at a wedding ceremony. It was written to be read to this struggling church to show them how church members are to treat each other. That's its original meaning and intent. If we could only abide by the principles of those verses, it would be enough to cause a revival in most churches. We're not to love our fellow church members because they're lovable. We're to love the unlovable as well. We're not just to pray for and encourage our church leaders when they're doing the things we like or agree with. 
We're to pray for and encourage them when they're doing things we don't like. We're not supposed to serve just when we want to or when we think it's convenient or or when other people are joining in. We're to serve even if we're the only ones doing it. Church membership is founded on the authentic, biblical, sacrificial love of Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us on the cross and commanded us to do the same. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this, everyone will know that you are my my disciples if you love one another. The problem is that so many churchgoers today have have adopted kind of a, a country club mentality with regards to church membership. The country club offers perks and privileges. It says, come, be entertained, be served. The Bible, the biblical model says, go, serve others according to Jesus' example. The one is selfish, the other is sacrificial. And so the concept of an inactive church member is an oxymoron. There's no such thing in the New Testament. You know, most churches keep a record of what they deem as active and inactive members. Definitions vary from church to church, But in some churches, you can remain on the membership role without ever showing up, serving, or giving anything to the work of the church. In other congregations, you're considered an active member as long as you're a CEO Christian, Christmas and Easter only. A biblical member of the church is someone who gives abundantly and serves without hesitation. They view the tithes and offerings as joyous giving with no strings attached. They serve and minister without hesitation as an act of obedience and worship to God in response to his amazing love poured out upon us through Christ. Which is the reason that we're exhorted to know our gifts and abilities so that we can use them to best serve God's church to his glory. The best way to discover and grow your spiritual gifts, I believe, is not by filling out a spiritual gifts survey as much as they can be helpful, but by actually serving, by stepping off the sidelines and trying something out. Over the past 35 years or so, I've had the incredible opportunity, privilege, blessing, and challenge of serving in a number of different areas in this church. And I gotta say, there was learning, growing, and just incredible blessing in all of it. Let me be clear about something. This is not uh, uh, trying to pressure anyone here. That's not what I'm trying to do. I am so thankful to God for every member and adherence of Stanley Park Baptist Church, new and old, especially those who have continued to serve and pray and give so faithfully through this pandemic. But in the face of a feeble and faltering commitment in churches everywhere. God is reminding us through his word today that formal commitment to Christ is synonymous with formal commitment to his church. The two go hand in hand. Jesus died to make us his bride, not his girlfriend. If you're a Christian, God has designed and called you to be part of the body of Christ, a committed and active member of a faithful local church, be it this one or another one, even and especially in a pandemic. And we've learned this year that that a pandemic doesn't shift the ministry of church into into neutral. It shifts it into overdrive. 
My friends, God is presenting us with, with countless new opportunities to love, serve, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with this world. And yet, as Jesus said, though the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Which is why we need every part of this body to do its work. Which means we need you, my friends. Because there is more need and opportunity now for the members of Stanley Park Baptist Church to pray, to give, and to serve, to get involved in the ministry and mission of this church than ever before. I believe that. There are so many areas where we need help. We've established a care call team and a care card team, reaching out and encouraging others through cards and calls. A meal preparation team for, for those in need of food. We, we have, we've reset the prayer clock initiative because we, we believe in the importance of just praying constantly around the clock for the many needs both in our church and in our world. By the way, the prayer clock still has many vacancies, so I'd urge you, please, would, would you consider signing up for that? Committing to, to more than one time of focused prayer every day. We're in need of youth and children's ministry volunteers and leaders, growth group leaders and co-leaders, missions and evangelism team members, welcome team volunteers and ushers, worship team members and leaders, audio-visual volunteers to help out with our sound and, and video production and live streaming initiative. And that's just naming a few. For some, it will mean coming back to church and, and getting involved again. Some of you may be sensing God calling you to try something new, to serve in an area you never have before as you continue to discover, use, or strengthen your spiritual gifts. There may be others who've been faithfully serving in one or more ministries, but, but who, for one reason or other, may have never felt led to, to formally join this church. Well, my friends, I, I would ask that you prayerfully consider that important step today. For, for some of you who, who've never been baptized, that commitment might mean baptism, as Christ commanded all of his followers to do, to publicly declare your love and formal commitment to him and to his church by joining it. That There are so many areas of need and opportunity. And if you are interested in any of these things, I'd, I'd urge you, please contact the church office and we will direct and connect you accordingly. Today, we, we all need to ask ourselves, and in prayer, to ask God this question. Not, should I serve the church or, or can I serve the church? But, how can I best serve your church right now? In light of this important reminder about what commitment to Christ and His church means, it is so fitting that we now take a few moments to renew our church covenant. Let me just remind you that a covenant is a solemn oath, a bond of blood that was authored, initiated, and guaranteed by Christ's sacrifice, which we're going to remember as we come to the Lord's table in a few minutes. So I would just urge you, do, do not say these words unless you have every intention of keeping them. If you are already a member here, then I expect that you will participate in this ceremony of renewal. If you have not yet formally joined, but have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and are willing to serve him in this congregation, then I urge you to participate in this ceremony of renewal as well. Our church covenant, as much as it acknowledges our covenant relationship with Christ, is so important. And so let us now renew our church covenant. 
which we will read aloud together. Having received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and declared our faith by being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we now enter into covenant with one another. We dedicate ourselves to practice the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life, to study the scriptures, and to be a people of prayer, thanking God for all his gifts, seeking his forgiveness and guidance, and bringing to him all our concerns. We will obey the teachings of Christ in every area of our life, modeling obedience in our moral and ethical choices, being faithful in our commitments, practicing self-control, and being good stewards of our bodies. As members of this body, we affirm it is our privilege and obligation to build up and strengthen the community of faith in knowledge, holiness, and fellowship. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we commit ourselves to walk together in Christian love, to pray for one another, to help each other in times of illness or distress, and to be respectful of one another. We further commit to speak the truth in love, be slow to take offense, and quick to seek reconciliation. We will watch over one another, humbly warning any who may be in danger of falling into disobedience or error. We commit ourselves to live as Christ's witnesses in a sinful world, inviting people from all nations and creeds to faith in Christ and raising our children in the encouragement and correction of the Lord. We will promote the financial stability of the church through our giving, its spiritual vitality by our lifestyle, and its worship, ordinances, discipline, doctrines, and ministries by our attendance, participation, service, and encouragement of one another. We agree that when we leave this congregation, we will unite with another church family where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of the word of God. We accept these commitments in humble reliance upon Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Amen. Well, today, as we rejoice in the unity of Christ as his body, around this table in a moment, it is especially appropriate and exciting that we are able to formally welcome several of our brothers and sisters in Christ into membership, into full participation in our worship and mission. In the life of this church, we commit to pray for, support, encourage, serve, and help one another so that we may all grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As a member of this church, our new members will be part of a larger fellowship of Baptist churches in Canada and indeed members of the wider Church of Christ in the world. We pray that the Spirit of God will make them increasingly aware of the dignity, privileges, and responsibilities of membership both in this fellowship of believers and in the universal Church of Jesus. So to you, our congregation, as, as we receive these folks into to fellowship, we are entering into joyous covenant with them. May they always find our church to be a community of spiritual enrichment, encouragement, and refuge. May they find us always prepared to receive them as part of the family, willing to celebrate their joys and open to share with them the deepest needs of life. As a sign of your willingness to commit yourself, I would ask that you please join me in a prayer of dedication. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for these people whom you've added to our fellowship today. 
We thank you for the faith in your son, Jesus, which binds us together. We thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit who has brought us together in unity this day. Lord, I pray that you would enable all of us by the power of your spirit to be faithful, active members of your church, committed to worship and ministry, to spiritual growth and mission together. May we all use our gifts for the welfare of the other and the well-being of your church. In the name of Jesus Christ, your son and our Lord and Savior, I pray. Amen. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. bound and drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb the entrance sealed by heavy stone Messiah still and all Oh, God. 
Well, in light of the message, the renewal of our covenant, and the new memberships today, it's especially appropriate that we come together now as the body of Christ and proclaim the Lord's death until Jesus comes again by partaking of the Lord's Supper. Today, as we partake of these elements, we remember, honor, and cherish Christ's ultimate suffering and sacrifice for us, for our sin, as he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Well, in obedience of Jesus' command, we are now going to participate in the Lord's Supper, in his body that was given, represented by the bread that we will partake, and his blood that was shed for our sins on the cross, represented by the juice that we will drink together in a moment. So I would invite you now to get these elements ready at home, and then we will proceed together with the words of institution. To its blessing and fellowship, all disciples of the Lord Jesus who have repented of their sins and are following him in newness of life by the Spirit may come and partake. This is not our table, but the table of our Lord. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I would now encourage everyone at home to, to return a prayer, either aloud or in the quietness of your heart, thanking God for the bread, symbolizing the body of our Savior Jesus given for us. Let's pray. Together, let us now eat this bread in remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice for us. In the same way, Jesus also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Once again, I would ask everyone participating at home to say a prayer of thanks for the cup, symbolizing the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Let us pray. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us drink this in remembrance that Jesus' blood was shed for us and be thankful. serve thee 
blessing. This is from Hebrews 13 verses 20 and 21. May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. And God bless you this week.